So in that sermon bumper, we had the music that's playing there. Now, that is the theme for a movie franchise and a television show. A little quiz here. I've got three questions for you. What is that theme music to? That's right, Mission Impossible. Now, in every episode of Mission Impossible, they all always start off with this challenge. Your mission, should you choose to what? Accept it. Okay, your mission, should you choose to accept it? In the movie franchise, not the TV show, the movie franchise, the main character played by Tom Cruise, what is his last name? First name, Ethan. Last name, Hunt. Ethan Hunt. Pretty good. You're pretty well up on your Mission Impossible trivia. Now, let's switch here to our mission as Christians. So, what's called the Great Commission was given to the 12 apostles by whom? Jesus Christ, given by Jesus Christ. It's in every one of the Gospels, but in Matthew's Gospel, in what chapter of Matthew's Gospel do we have the Great Commission? Matthew 28, that's right, last chapter of Matthew. And then we're going to do some fill-in-the-blanks here uh, from Matthew's Gospel. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and do what? Make disciples of all nations, doing what to them? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what? Obey everything I have commanded you. Very good. Now, if the first set of questions was easier for you to answer than the second set of questions, this sermon series is for you. And even if you didn't have any problem answering that second set of questions, this sermon series is still for you. We're having a missions emphasis this month. So we're studying in the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah was a missionary. He was sent as a missionary to the Assyrians. So the overarching theme of the book of Jonah is missions. And there are four chapters in Jonah, four Sundays in November. So each week, each Sunday, we're going to cover one chapter of the book of Jonah. And yes, I am able to cover an entire chapter in one sermon. Now, in Jonah chapter 1, that's where we are today, the theme of this chapter is Jonah's call to missions. He was called to missions. He heard or received that call in three different ways, just like we do. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, the three ways that Jonah got the call to do missions. Number one, the call, first of all, came through the Word of God. The call came through the Word of God. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So who is Jonah? Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel around 800 B.C. At this time in the history of the nation, it's divided by civil war into two kingdoms. So you have Judah in the south, Israel in the north, Jonah's up here in the north. And one of his Contemporaries would have been Elisha, for instance. He is called to go and, as a missionary, to preach in Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is a war machine at this time in history. They're dominating their region. Nineveh, according to one of the ancient historians named Diodorus, was the greatest city of antiquity during that time. This was a city with 600,000 citizens. It was 80 miles in circumference. It was surrounded by a wall that was 100 feet high. And so thick you could run four chariots around the top of that wall abreast. There were 1,500 towers 
around this city, each one 250 feet high. But it was a very decadent capital city. It was a cold-blooded, cruel, immoral, power-worshipping, materialistic, animistic metropolis. Kind of sounds like our capital, doesn't it? Well, that's where Jonah was called to go. At least the word came to him, and all that's background, but the point here, the word came to Jonah. How did it come? We don't really know. We're not always told this, whether he had a vision or he had a dream or he heard an audible voice or maybe another prophet came to him. But in some definitive way, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him that he was to own this mission. It comes to us too. The word of the Lord comes and it calls us to do missions, to be involved in missions. The call to missions is in every one of the Gospels. Starting with Matthew, we looked at this earlier, but Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. In Mark's gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In the gospel of Luke, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. And then in John's gospel, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's with Jesus. Now, he's given this charge primarily to the 12 apostles, at least initially. But it's for all Christians. The apostles taught it to the rest of the disciples. The early Christians in the first churches there, they understood that this was their mission. Luke makes this clear in Acts chapter 8. We read a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So these weren't the apostles who were scattered. Apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They're carrying out the Great Commission at that time in the city, but the rest of the Christians are scattered, and they preach where they went as they went. Point being, all the Christians owned this mission. And so we, as Christians, we own this mission as well. Now, it's not to say God's calling us all to be street preachers. It's not to say we all got to get the white shirt and the black tie and hop on a bicycle and ride door to door and invite ourselves into people's homes. Not really saying right now exactly how each one of us as individuals are going to express the Great Commission in our lives. We can think about that, but just saying how we do own it. And I know we know this by and large. Most of us know this. We're just going to remind ourselves of it today and reinforce it. It's like there was a very timid Christian and he would get up and pray every morning, Dear Lord, if you want me to share the gospel with somebody today, please give me a sign. Give me a sign. He gets on a bus, he's going to work, and they have a stop and a big, burly, tattooed, bearded dude gets on the bus. It's like a big biker dude. And he goes and he sits right beside our timid Christian. Now, there's lots of other seats on the bus, but he sits beside this guy. But before the timid Christian can get very nervous, this this biker dude bursts out, Oh, Lord, I'm lost. I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. Can somebody show me how to be saved? And he turns to the Christian sitting beside him. He said, Friend, can you tell me how to be saved? And the timid Christian, immediately he bows his head, and he prays, Lord, is this a sign? Now, we don't need a sign. We don't need some kind of miraculous sign from God. All we have to do is read the Word. It's abundantly clear to us. 
We own this mission. Jesus said it's a wicked and adulterous generation that looks for a miraculous sign. And he said the only sign that will be given to it is the sign of what? Jonah. The sign of Jonah. This message series is our sign. This is our mission. All right, so Jonah gets the call through the word of the Lord, just like we get the call through the word of the Lord. All right, a second way, Jonah gets the call to missions through his circumstances. Through his circumstances. We continue. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. He went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And then they, the sailors, took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah, like some of us sometimes, was a bit of a reluctant missionary. He did not want to go to Nineveh. And his motivations we're not going to go too deep into today. We'll talk about that in future messages. But just suffice it to say, he was not a big fan of Assyrians in general, or Nineveh in particular. So Jonah goes in the opposite direction that God called him to go. I'm going to put a slide up of a map here just to show you. And right here is where Jonah would have been. He was called to go east to Nineveh. And instead, he goes down to Joppa, and he goes west to Tarshish. So you can see Jonah is going in the exact opposite direction that God has called him to go. He's trying to get away. While he's on the ship, the storm comes up. The sailors discern Jonah's the cause. They throw him overboard. The, the storm stops, and he's swallowed by the great fish. Now, the word here for fish, some people believe it's a whale, just means a great aquatic animal. This is a bit of a hang-up for some people, maybe not for anybody here, but people sometimes get hung up on this, if it's really possible. Could Jonah have survived for three days in the belly of a whale or a great fish? There are a lot of skeptics. They point to things like this in the Bible. A lot of times they have an a priori bias against anything supernatural in the Word of God, but anyway, they point to this, that they couldn't possibly happen. I was reading about an elderly woman. She got on an airplane to fly. She's very nervous about flying godly woman. She had her Bible. Immediately, she starts reading her Bible on the plane to calm her nerves. Her seatmate sat down beside her, a middle-aged man, bit of a skeptic. He looks over at her reading the Bible. He says, you don't, you don't really believe that book, do you? She says, oh yes, I believe every word. He said, what about that thing about Jonah, swallowed by the whale? That couldn't happen. She said, I, I believe it happened. Well, how could he have survived? He said, how could he have survived in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights? She said, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. The skeptic said in a kind of a snarky tone, what if he's not in heaven? She said, then you can ask him. Now, that's <laughs> not really very nice or called for. So what about this? Could this, could this really happen? Well, it's possible. Just a couple of possibilities. On, I'm not going to camp out too long, but it may be on a purely naturalistic terms, this may have been possible. Did y'all read this story back in June? This guy's name is Michael Packard, who is a lobster diver who claims that he was swallowed by a humpback whale. Did you see that story June 11th of this year? And uh, took him down like 75 feet, and he survived, and he lived to tell the tale. 
Now, there are some skeptics in my household. It's an ongoing debate about whether or not this actually happened. But he had scratches all over his body, and the first mate was on the ship, on the boat right up there when it all happened. So could very well have happened. But he wasn't in there for three days or three nights. The whales spit him out pretty quickly. Well, there, are some, there have been some very large animals that have been found inside of great white sharks and inside of whales' bellies as large as a man or larger. There's air pockets inside of a whale. Maybe it's possible on purely naturalistic terms, but we don't have to go there. It could be a supernatural explanation. It could simply be a miracle. Right? God preserved the life of Jonah inside this aquatic animal. There are other supernatural elements of the story. The fact that the storm came up, and as soon as they threw Jonah overboard, the storm stopped. You know, just like when Jesus stood up on the Sea of Galilee and said, peace be still, and immediately the storm stopped. That indicates a supernatural element. And this, this fish was prepared in some way, the Bible says, prepared in some way. That indicates there might have been a, a supernatural element to it as well. Somebody has said, if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that, you shouldn't have any problem believing any other miracle in the Bible. Now here's, here's a third possibility you may not have thought of. It could be that Jonah did die. He did die in the belly of this fish and that God raised him back from the dead after those three days. When we get to chapter 2 next week, Jonah chapter 2, the entire chapter is Jonah praying. It's a prayer of Jonah. And in verse 2, Jonah says, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. The word here is Sheol in the Old Testament, the abode of the dead. It could be that he died. Remember how Jesus compared his experience three days and nights in the tomb to Jonah's experience three days and nights in the belly of the great fish. And Jesus was dead. So, so just a possibility, something to think about. We don't know, but I think that's kind of interesting to think about. Regardless, the people at the time believed this actually happened. It was an historical event. We're separated by 3,000 years. Not hard for skeptics to say, I don't even know if that ever really happened. It's just a story. Oh, they believed that it happened. And it may be uh, for that very reason why the people in Nineveh were receptive to Jonah when he finally showed up and started preaching because they knew something very strange and supernatural had happened to them. And by the way, Jesus accepted it as an historical event as well. So my point is, God used Jonah's circumstances here to reinforce the call that he got from the Word of God. He's going in the wrong direction. The sailors kind of do an intervention and the circumstances of the fish and the storm call him back. Likewise, in our circumstances, just in our circumstances, God can use those, providentially manipulate those to remind us. And we've got a call here. We've got a mission that we're supposed to own. And maybe remind us of the opportunities that are available to us for missions. Let me ask you to ask yourself this morning. Could you possibly be a foreign missionary? Could you possibly be one of those who, who leaves your home, and we kind of in a gospel-saturated environment in the United States, and go to a place where people haven't had that much opportunity to access the good news? You know, almost our default response is, I could never do that. I can never imagine myself doing that. But every person who ever became a foreign missionary just started off as average Christian in a church, not some 
special super Christian. I'll give you some examples. Uh, just from our own church, Mike and Deidre Smith, for instance, they attend the first service. Many of you know Mike and Deidre. They were married with a child living in Orlando when they sensed God's call to go to Grenada as missionaries. They went, they spent two years there, came back, and since that time have organized many short-term mission trips back to Grenada. They've been joined by various people in our congregation. Tim and Luann Collins have gone, H.T. Aldheiser, Bonnie, Jensen, Nathan. These are just people in the congregation going to the foreign mission field. Uh, Jillian Martinelli went on the world race with adventures and missions, right? That's not a TV show. That's a missions organization, the world race, visiting 11 countries in 11 months and was joined by her parents, John and Anne, for a week in Thailand, ministering there, doing mission work there. Again, just regular people. Sometimes we get to a stage in life where we have extra time, maybe some disposable income. What am I going to do with my life? And some people say, I, I hear God calling me to go somewhere else with the gospel. Can we be local missionaries? Are there those in our neighborhoods, our jobs, our families, our sphere of influence with whom we can share the gospel and talk about spiritual things? I was talking with Avon Putterer in our church recently. Avon teaches a knitting class. And in her knitting class, there was a woman there who was interested in spiritual things. So they were talking about that. So Avon decided to start a Bible study in her home. They're studying Core 52. It's Avon and two other Christian ladies in our church. And then this person who is unchurched, who is coming as well, sort of a seeker. And she is coming along in her spiritual journey. Just one of the ways that she is expressing her ownership of the mission. Hey, Jack Martinelli, who's up here leading the singing. Jack works at the stretch zone. That's where his job is, the stretch zone. You know what he does there? Yeah, he stretches people. How'd you figure that out? He stretches people at the stretch zone. And one of his clients was Kendra Fredrickson. And they, just, they started talking about spiritual things. Jack invited her to come to church. So she's been coming for the last several weeks and I was talking to her last Sunday. She says, it's, it's no accident that I met Jack. It's no accident that he invited me to church or that I came to Vera Christian Church. She says, this is God. This is the providence of God. And she'll be going to our, our Discover class this next Sunday. Some people in our church uh, are, are involved in some of our local missions works, like Karenette over here, and Bonnie's the executive director, and we have many people in our church who volunteer or maybe are on staff over there. So working out the Great Commission on a, on a local level. Can we support missions financially? The Apostle Paul established the church in Philippi. And then after a while, he went on to plant other churches. But the Philippian church continued to support him financially. And so Paul referred to them as his partners in the gospel because of their financial support. Philippians 1.5, he says, You have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. So yeah, when, we, when you place an, a dollar in the offering plate at Vera Christian Church, a portion of that is going to support, as Chris said, the 14 missions that we support as a church and as a congregation. Kind of like, it's like a mutual fund of missionaries. It's spread out in all 
and invested in all these different types of missions. And we give $38,000 a year as a congregation of missions. If you include the benevolence, it's more like $42,000, $43,000 a year. And the Bible says in that way, we're partnering with them in the gospel, helping to make those missions possible and sharing in their reward. Jonah hears the call to missions through the word. He hears the call to missions through his circumstances. And then a third way is through concerned people. Concerned people. Going back to those sailors on the boat. They say to Jonah, why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. And they said, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Nobody was more concerned about Jonah's call to missions at this point in time than these sailors were. And they're reinforcing that call as well. And the presence of these missionaries who are with us today and the, rep the representatives from these organizations, just their very presence, we're honored to have you with us. Uh, and their sacrifice, their lives, their service reminds all the rest of us, oh yeah, this is something that we have been called to. This is something we are to participate in. I was very blessed to grow up as a, as a kid in church. Some of you have a similar story. Maybe you grew up in church. Inglewood Christian Church back in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was a very mission-minded church. Every year we would have a missions fair, just like we're doing right here. Even more extensive. It would last for a week or two weeks. And we would meet on night, nights during those weeks, and we'd hear the missionaries preach. And I heard my preacher preach about the importance of missions. And we had two, two funds in our budget. We had the general fund, and we had a missions fund. And we pledged, the church would pledge to each fund for the upcoming year. And even, I remember being a little child in children's church, being seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, Alan, same church, Alan from Johnson University. Remember, Alan would be in children's church. They have the thermometer there. And we, as children, were encouraged to make pledges out of our allowance or our chore money toward the missions fund for the upcoming year. And I remember walking around through those booths and the tables like we have out there and just looking at the displays and the exotic food sometime, the exotic tools and the people and hearing those missionaries and hearing my preachers so much so that the importance of missions and the call to missions was impressed on my DNA from the time that I was a child. And it's, it's never gone away. That's what we want for our children. That's what we want for our grandchildren and for ourselves to have this mission, to really own it. It's not just the preacher and it's not just these representatives but as we know, it's every one of us. We all own this call. Let's hear those concerned voices who are with us today. Aren't you glad, and I know you are, I know I am, that those who first heard the gospel there in Jerusalem didn't keep it to themselves in Jerusalem. They didn't keep it to themselves in Judea. They didn't keep it to themselves in Samaria. Somebody left from over there. The center of Christianity certainly wasn't America or North America. They left from over there and they came over here so that you and I could be in the kingdom of God today. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, this morning we want to hear the call. We want to know 
from your word, without any question, you are calling us to own the mission. We know from the people who are here and from our own circumstances, there are opportunities for us to share the gospel in very unique and individual ways. We do not forget that today, Lord, and we recommit ourselves to the mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.